When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From Hollywood, California, the horror capital of the world, the Boulay Brothers, Creatures of the Night. Welcome, darlings, to another haunting episode of the Boulay Brothers, Creatures of the Night. It's just before Halloween, and this is the perfectly timed episode number 13. This is Swan Thula, and I'm delighted to welcome to the show my horrifying other half, Drac Morta. Tell us, Drac, what side of the bed did we get out of today? Well, I would say... The right side. Okay. (laughs) It has been the wrong side for the past week or two, but it was the right side today. We've been under a lot of stress and, you know, there's lots of expectation during spooky season. But can you tell us why uh, you've been getting out of the wrong side of the bed for a couple of weeks? Well, as a producer of a show, I have learned that it's not about the cool creative things you get to do. It's about waking up every day of your life and going through a list of straight men that are in the business world that you have to hound daily (laughs) to do things that you talked about the day before, but they forgot conveniently overnight. It's like Groundhog Day every fucking day. (laughs) So you wake up and you call all of them and remind them that they were supposed to do the stuff that they said they were going to do last night, but didn't. And then they say, yes, mistress, and finally get it done because you're what? You're that bitch. <laughs> I think we have established now for anyone that has spoiler alert for anyone that's watched the Bully Brothers Dragula Resurrection. I am not that bitch. Someone else is. <laughs> There's so many of them out there that want to be that bitch. I think so. Um, who knew that that bitch would be the phrase of the season? The phrase that pays, in fact. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm in a good mood today. I woke up on the right side. I feel like uh, we're in a good spot. The special should be 
you know, airing and everyone's watching it now. So hopefully everyone's happy. Absolutely. So I think a lot of people look to us during the Halloween season um, because everything that we do kind of resonates with this dark kind of like spooky energy. And we are responsible for some of the best Halloween content out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but this year is so unusual because we are spending our um, Halloween in quarantine. So I kind of thought we might talk about some ways that we plan on celebrating Halloween and maybe giving other people um, inspiration on how they might bring some of the spirit into Halloween, even though we can't celebrate it in the ways that we're accustomed to. Yes, I think that's a great idea because I, a lot of people are saying, Halloween's canceled. What are we going to do? And I'm like, well, no one can cancel Halloween on you. Halloween's only canceled if you cancel it yourself. Which, as we all know, uh, we're resistant to being canceled. So <laughs> they try it, and they have tried it, and they will continue to try, but they will continue to lose. You know, in all seriousness, I do think that there's a lot of things you can do on Halloween to keep it fun. Personally, you know, a lot of our events and stuff, as everyone knows, we are all over the place on Halloween every year. So we'll go from city to city to city. We barely make it back in time for our own event, um, and. If there ever is a day, because sometimes Halloween will fall on a weird day, like a Tuesday or a Thursday or something. Um, generally, we're booked. But I think a couple of years, you know, five years ago, let's say, for example, if we would do our parties on the weekend and then Halloween would come and we were off for some weird reason. Um, I think about the ways that we would spend it. And it wasn't by going out to a club anyways. You know, it wasn't yeah. about gathering up with a bunch of people. We're pretty traditional when it comes to our Halloween celebrations. Um So I think maybe we could talk about some ideas in that vein that people could do, right, to celebrate Halloween. Yeah, that's something that we like to do, too. We keep it traditional and we keep it kind of rustic, almost back to nature uh, in a a simple sort of way. And some of the things that we would do were very classic, I think. Things that a lot of people would do normally, but you might just spend a little bit more time appreciating those things this year, like going to a pumpkin patch and handpicking your own pumpkin and bringing it home and carving it out when there's music in the background, you know, and really setting the mood, maybe making some cider. You can make it hot. You can make it spiked if that's your thing. Um, and I think you have to get crafty and especially yeah. with the recipes, you know, there's so many great, even alcoholic or non-alcoholic recipes for like cider, like butter cider. Tell, rum tell cider. them about the butter cider because that was such a hit when we did that a couple of years ago. Like people were gagging over Jack Warner's cider. Made homemade, uh, yeah, apple cider that has like butter in it. It's really delicious. It's very spicy uh, and you can add rum to it and it's delicious. It's kind of like a hot rum drink. Um, yeah, I mean, on that note, I also make uh, like a pumpkin stew that I think people should try because it's really amazing. You basically take a, a pumpkin, you carve out the middle and scoop it out like you're about to make a jack-o'-lantern. But then you put all, you put all these ingredients in to make a stew and then you sort of butter the pumpkin on the outside. You put it in a big uh, like tray and then you bake that you bake the stew and the pumpkin together and uh it's really delicious yeah so when when you go in and scoop the stew out of the hollowed pumpkin and we do it we do a beef stew but i'm sure you can make it vegan or vegetarian you'll inadvertently carve out some of the baked pumpkin and it goes into the stew and it is amazing yeah super good so these are so yeah these are things i also think i kind of like to take it back to like non- electricity kind of period like if you can like i yeah. think keeping it candle lit is fun Absolutely. put a lot of candles out uh incense you know keep well obviously if you're playing music that's electric so it's a little bit of a cheat <laughs> but uh you know these rustic meals that you just make traditionally for halloween 
pumpkin carving, I think making costumes, making your own costumes is really fun. Even like uh, kind of like paper mache masks and sure. different things like that. I think they look really creepy. There's something uh, amazing. It reminds me of like, I don't know if anyone's a fan of uh, Diane Arbus's photography, but she does a lot of photography or she did a lot of photography um, in the 60s with people and like mental hospitals and things. She would go and photograph them around Halloween and they would make these really scary, terrifying, like homemade paper mache masks. And um, I just think it has a really unique look to it. And I think it's much more scary than anything you could. Oh, uh, way more scary than store-bought. Yeah. And they're they're imperfect. And, we ha- and they're time-consuming to do something like that. You might think like, oh God, this is daunting. I'm going to sit around and make a, a paper mache mask. But I say, why not? I mean, this is an opportunity this time. Like we've had months to just sort of like sit on idle. So we reach into our creativity and we can spend time I'm doing things like making handmade um, paper mache masks. And there's something you can keep for like a really long time. Yeah, I think turn off your TV, turn off your phones. You know, obviously you can't have a lot of people over right now or you shouldn't if you're smart. But, um, you know, you can have a couple of people over if you're safe and they're people you've been spending time with. And uh, I think just keep it simple. Keep it classic. Keep it simple. And you'll have a great Halloween. Absolutely. And, um, you know, one thing we like to do is create sort of a soundscape when we're doing these kind of like rustic sort of simple things. We, Drac and I, like to listen to kind of old-timey Halloween tracks. And I'm going to kind of fast forward to one of our viewer questions that Emily sent in. And she was asking if we would create a a Halloween playlist and make it public. So that's something we're definitely going to do. We're going to go onto Spotify and create a Boulay Brothers Halloween playlist and make it public. We'll be doing that within the next couple of days. So you guys can enjoy the tracks that we enjoy during the Halloween season, but a couple of them out there to sort of like spin you in the right direction. Um, I think maybe one of our favorites, it's called Halloween Spooks by Lambert, Hendricks, and Ross. And when you play it, you'll know exactly what I mean by this old-timey spirit of the Halloween season that you just don't get when we listen to things like, you know, like more modern songs like, you know, Thriller and Ghostbusters or whatever. Like, that never really did it for me. I like the old stuff. Yeah, well, also, something we'll do as a favor to you with this playlist is if anyone who's ever searched for vintage Halloween music on Spotify will quickly realize there is a lot of goofy, awful trash (laughs) Halloween music from the sixties that is annoying. So you're like, I'm going to be spooky. Let me put on my, my soundtrack and you put it on and you start doing whatever you're going to do. And it's the most annoying music that you've ever heard. It's very like, cartoony and obnoxious and there's a lot of large like loud sounds and it's just terrible and we're going to filter all that out for you so you don't have to worry a lot of like kind of surfer like goofy where they talk a lot oh, i really like weird. that surfer stuff i like that like surfer horror but I, I know the kind you're talking about there, there was like a movement in the 60s and i should know uh where hollywood was making like the classic sort of horror movies at the time. And I think horror was really having like a, a moment. So they thought, Hey, let's bring this into music and let's just cash it in for every coin it could be worth. It's and so the music bad. is not good. Well, yeah. I think it, was, it seemed like it was for little kids mostly, you know, and it was just annoying. So we're going to filter that out yeah. because but uh, they exploited everything. It was like, I was a teenage werewolf. Yeah, right. I was a zombie. I fell in love with a vampire. It was like any monster that came out in the movies. They tried to make 50 songs about which it. I love that kind of theme for like a film, but the music was really bad. So, So we're going to filter that out. And you're welcome. You know, one of the other things that's um, happening right now that's super significant and we'd like to touch on 
very quickly um, is voting. Now, we consider our listeners to be some of the most intelligent people in the country, so we couldn't encourage you even more now than ever to vote. Um, and it's not only just getting about getting out there and making your own opinions matter in the form of a vote. We want to encourage people to have conversations, and we need to have conversations with people that are sort of outside of our own echo chambers. Um, if you just talk to people with all the same views, then no one's really learning anything about another group. No one's really uh, questioning what they believe because everyone around them is just reinforcing the same belief that they all share. So talk to the people that might not share your views and educate them on the importance of what their vote might mean and how it can sway things not only in their own life, but in the lives of the people that they love. It'll be interesting to see what, what you know, does happen with the election because I, I've noticed in the past 10 years at least you know, with social media becoming so prevalent in our daily lives that people's beliefs are becoming more extreme, you know, so polarized because you're living in an echo chamber and you don't realize it. So you're like, you wake up every day, you go on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, and you just have people puppeting the things that you already believe. So then when things like elections, you're like, oh, someone like Trump would never win. I'm like, Sherry, have you been outside of a major city? Because he definitely could win. But but they are experiencing the same thing, right? They're getting those polarized views from Fox News like shoved down their throats Absolutely. as well. So I really think it's important, so important for us to find common ground and kind of return to normalcy. Like, you know, the whole idea of our democracy is about a common denominator. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be exactly what you want, but it's pretty damn good. And that's what we should push for. You know, it's always going to agree. Yeah. So hopefully people will, will take that to heart and try to hate a little less, reach out to people that you don't necessarily agree with. We don't all have to agree. You don't have to say, I don't agree with you. So I hate you. You don't have to do that. You know, like figure out a way to get along with everybody and, and, and push for what you believe is right. That's all you can do. Exactly. <clears throat> and I don't, mean, I don't mean to make little of um, what we're talking about because politics are important, but they're also polarizing. I think we should just leave that right where it was. That's the message, and that's all we have to say about that. Um, but one thing that we can all agree on, no matter what your political views are, um, are that the Boulay Brothers Hello Uglies Halloween sweatshirts are incredible. They're not to be missed. And I'm sorry, but they're also completely sold out. I'm like, out. they already are missed. Yeah. Like, they're gone. They're completely sold out. So whatever your political views, it doesn't matter. You're too late. However, if you do visit us at BoulayBrothersDragula.com, we have tons of really cute original Boulay Brothers merch, as well as Dragula stuff. If you're a fan of ours or what we create, um, check it out because it too won't last. And any of the stuff on there will be guaranteed to make your Halloween season a little spookier and a little more special. Kmart is your saving store. Where? (laughs) Oh my God. If if they only knew, if they only knew the jingles that you sounded like a Kmart commercial to me. So Look, I'm getting really good at pivoting and segues. So what can I say? Yes, I am obsessed with old school jingles and commercials. And that has been stuck in my head recently. I've seen those old like 70s Halloween Kmart commercials and the song stuck in my head. No, it doesn't matter what it is, too. Like the, the, the listeners need to know. No, they whether don't. It's no, Kmart, they don't. Wolf, they, I've already like heard. Anything. No. Well, you brought, you brought her out of the closet, so I'm it just going to say taste. it's it an un- hold on a minute. It's an uncanny power that you have. L- literally, if you hear one song once, it could be twenty, thirty, whatever years and years ago. It comes on the radio, and you know it. That's right. You can sing it. That's you right. know every nuance That's of it. Right. It's crazy. <laughs> it's really That's right. I'm going to do my own spinoff jingle podcast. They need to just, hire you to write jingles. They if, do. Yeah. Okay. So 
Let's talk about the special quickly, because at this point, it's out there in the world. The Boulay Brothers Dragula Resurrection is now streaming on Shudder. Um, I couldn't encourage people more to check it out. It's, I think it's something really special, and uh, it, it's, the w- it's the way that drag is being framed and pictured in this show. It's not like anything we've seen before on television. Yeah, I mean, I think pe- I don't want to talk too much about it on this episode because I think, uh, you know, it's still early. It's only been out for like two days and I don't want to spoil anything. So I think maybe we should wait and talk about it more on the next episode when we have all the producers on. We're going to do a special episode next uh, where we're bringing the five people together who made this, you know, there was a lot of more people that worked on it, but the five main people that made it, that traveled around together. Um, and they've been with the show since the beginning. I can't wait to have them on because they're so fun. And if you see our rapport with Ian, you will then see how that extends to these other two guys too. It's very fun and uh, I'm excited to have them on. Um, speaking of Ian, I think it's time we invite our sister in crime to join us. She's a producer on the Belay Brothers Dragula and a primary witch in our cabal. Please welcome Miss Ian DeVogler. Hey, ladies. How are you today? We're great. We're feeling very Halloween-y, as you can tell from our Halloween lights in here. <laughs> it is very Halloween decorated, but I expect nothing less. Absolutely. I got into the Halloween spirit recently, carving pumpkins. Mm-hmm. Um, it was great. I watched Adam's Family Values last night, carved pumpkins, uh, completely destroyed my boyfriend in our pumpkin carving contest. It was great. <laughs> you know, I saw both of your pumpkins, and I have to agree with you, you totally buried him. <laughs> Just a little quick anecdote. We were like, okay, we've never carved pumpkins together before, so we're like, you turn your pumpkin around, don't let the other one see it, and then on the count of three, you're going to turn your pumpkin, and we're going to reveal them. And I was like, okay. So I'm like stenciling mine. I have my like Sharpies, my pencils. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go the fuck in, honey. <laughs> and he's like, okay, one, two, three. oh, god damn it. <laughs> Turned his around. I was like, oh, yours is so cute. Turn mine around. It's like the grand pumpkin. <laughs> he's like, we're never doing this again. Well, how long did it take him versus how long did it take you? <laughs> I mean, it took him probably like 20 minutes and I'm like an hour in. Oh. He's like, are you done? I have like four different knives. I'm like carving the inside out. He should have known. I he know. should after after you weren't done like 10 minutes after he was done, he should have I've been like, oh I'm not done yet. Hold yeah. on. <laughs> I was just resting. I was resting my wrist from this fabulous pumpkin I was carving. Oh, I don't know. My wrists are pretty strong, but <laughs> <laughs> So on that note, (laughs) what uh, sort of news do you have for us this Halloween season? Today, I have news stories from the worlds of on-screen movie monsters and slashers, horrifying delays into the unforeseen future, and a few things that might make this year's Halloween feel just a little bit scarier. First up, I have a few updates in terms of upcoming releases and one marker of time that I know will make us all feel a little bummed, so let's get that out of the way first. This week officially marks the original release date of Halloween Kills, coming and going without the film premiering. Originally slated for October 15th, 2020, Halloween Kills will now officially be releasing on October 15th, 2021, no matter what happens this year, according to producer Jason Blum. In an interview with Forbes magazine, Blum was quoted as saying, After this year, no, we're not holding it any longer. Hell or high water, vaccine or no vaccine, it is coming out. October 15th, 2021. Personally, I think we'll all be in way better shape next year, but I wouldn't hold my breath for full capacity theaters anytime soon. I think that they should have just went ahead and released it digitally, in my opinion, because I was really looking forward to it. And I mean, I'll still be looking forward to it next year as well. But because we know that there's two that are made and they're going to come out consecutively, that means we're not seeing the finale for three years. Like, 
that's a long time. You Girl, know? that's fucking annoying. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, we stand the new Halloween movies in this house, and I don't want to wait another I have an interesting tidbit that I want to tell you guys about. I recently discovered through looking through old Fangoria's that Quentin Tarantino almost wrote Halloween 6. There was this idea floating around of him writing it. Then it changed to him potentially producing. It kind of kept going all over the place, um, which I thought was so bizarre. And you know, Halloween 6 was so strange where it went with the whole story or where it didn't. Actually, it could have been I'm pretty sure it's six. It was five or six. It I don't was, know. It was six. It I was actually, six. it's actually really weird that you're bringing this up. I, I read an article about it. It was kind of like talking about, you know, the film that could have been. I almost put it in the current events. I was like, eh, maybe not. So yeah, it was Halloween six. I mean, I think I'm glad that he didn't. Honestly, Halloween six was trash. And I mean, it was trash. <laughs> and you know, I love the Halloween movies, but it was bad. But I, I don't know. I kind of feel like, you know, bringing like cool guy writer kind of like fucked it up too, potentially. So I don't know. At least it didn't go off in a totally string because they were talking about him being like homeless and just it just started sounding too real and he didn't have his mask on for most of the time oh honey no I know I'm not into that I don't know I'm going out on my own here because the I, I didn't read the article but the idea of Tarantino uh, touching the Halloween franchise to me is really exciting I love Quentin Tarantino movies I love the hyper violence and mm-hmm. the kind of fantasy world that he sort of steps into his movies always have their own feel and sort of like their own rules and reality so that that just sounds thrilling to me I, you know, though, I think when directors and writers that have that strong of visions and styles in their own personal work, when they come to things that are established like that, their vision can sometimes overtake the vision and direction of the the subject, you know? Because Halloween has its own vibe and its own story and mythology, and if you kind of imprint your own stuff on it too much, I feel like it could knock it off. But I love Todd Baker with you, so I'm going to challenge that with this. Look at Batman, right? And when... Uh when we saw Batman Returns, like that was taken and brought into a completely uh, original direction. And it didn't diminish the mythology of Batman. It made it more in everything. It it just made it more magical and more and darker and more mysterious. And it's, it's still my favorite Batman movie. I have to agree with you there. That actually is a great example of someone coming in that has a strong style and making it better, honestly. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, though, I really didn't enjoy the first Batman movie. So yeah. I, w- I don't mind that. They- I'm like, yeah. you didn't do anything special. So let's Agreed. go ahead and fuck it up. Like, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, speaking of the Batman franchise, two more films have been delayed, this time with The Batman starring Robert Pattinson being pushed back from October 2021 to March 2022. There has been no specific explanation for the delay, although I think we can pretty safely assume it's related to the pandemic. The second film is Jurassic World Dominion. The next film in the Jurassic Park franchise will be halting production for two weeks after several crew members tested positive for COVID-19 on set earlier this week. This setback is the second time the film has been paused uh, due to complications with COVID-19, so I hope we're not looking at a cursed film set here. I don't know. I'm getting kind of used to these disappointments, and it's just forcing me to like look inward and, and make my own joy. <laughs> Your own movie. I like that. Yeah. Oh, it, hey, you weird. know what? <laughs> these out- outrageous circumstances cause us to create some new content already, mm-hmm. and maybe uh, maybe our first feature-length film is in the works now under the umbrella of like this crazy pandemic. But it ain't going to be a pandemic-style movie. That can go to hell. No more pandemic movies. You don't want to film our first movie um, via Zoom? Oh, honey, no. <laughs> oh, my God, it's behind me. Help. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, let me bring my camera with me, though. Oh. 
wait, why is it facing frontwards when no one would ever fucking do that? <laughs> wait, I'm sorry. Hold on. My iPad's glitching. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, it's buffering. Sorry. Oops. I'm actually getting thrown against the wall. <laughs> okay. That sounds like a good time, though. <laughs> That's a different kind of movie. Oh, no. My OnlyFans pandemic movie. <laughs> Finally, for an announcement that has horror fans conflicted, myself absolutely included, Showtime's serial killer series Dexter will be returning for a final season on Showtime sometime next year. The final season will feature Michael C. Hall returning as Dexter, and we'll explore what happened after the conclusion of the original finale. This kind of means a lot to me because my family literally used to get together every Sunday night. We would wear lab coats and like drink red wine and like have like red steaks. I love that. Yeah, we oh all had like God. they were like personally embroidered with our names on them. Oh my! God. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I, I actually really love that too. Yeah, How endearing! It, it was How like, disgusting. Ugh, I know it was like a tradition. Like, it was like for the past like the last four seasons, we got together every Sunday and it was really cute. But the last season of the show was like absolute garbage. So I'm really like not holding my breath for this. Are they they bringing on new writers or all the people that made the first one? Um, they are bringing on, it's a collection of the old writers and uh, Michael C. Hall is going to I think executive produce and I think they actually have the original writer of the book series coming back and mm. he left after like season three so I'm kind of hoping that he can like wrench control back a little bit. The synchronicity of this conversation is not escaping me because Drac and I went to breakfast this morning for the first time since the pandemic we sat outside, it was socially distanced but I can't help but overhear people when they are around me with an earshot and there was this and just to remind you, they can hear you too. Well, I wasn't speaking. And I know that. I learned that lesson a long time okay. ago. But that's why I started to talk to you. And you were like, what? And I'm like, I'll tell you later. I was so proud of you when you said that. Like, <laughs> you usually be like, what? They can't hear me. That idiot over there. <laughs> these two these two women were talking about Dexter and comparing it to um, The Walking Dead very in, in this way. The first couple of seasons were amazing, but then it just got weird, and then it just got bad, and then I just stopped watching it. So to know that it's a loved series and it's coming back the way you love it, I think a lot of people that were fans of Dexter then are kind of like cringing a little and hoping that it's it's more like the earlier season. Well, taking things back from on-screen terror into the real-world horror of Halloween, I have a few noteworthy stories leading up to the happiest day of the year. CableTV.com and HighSpeedInternet.com are teaming up to give people the chance to win $1,000 this Halloween by doing exactly what I'll be doing anyway and watching 24 hours of horror movies while live tweeting about it. If you're interested, it's literally that simple. The companies are asking applicants to provide a short bio about themselves and then plug in for the night while giving their thoughts about the movie. It seems a little easier than last year's 24 hours in a coffin stunt, which also seemed kind of ridiculous. But then again, I guess we're all just built differently. (laughs) How many people out there actually thought about that for a while? Because I know that I did. I was like, 24 hours in a coffin. Honestly, at the end, I concluded I'm like, not a big deal. Uh, Totally unpressed. Yeah. There was even like, oh, you can also, you can have your phone and you get a bathroom break. You can have your phone? Yeah. Forget it. I I mean, I would volunteer to do that after Halloween. Please. Oh, girl, after after all the production of the special, I'm like, let me leave my phone outside the coffin. Just leave me in here for 24 hours. For the past 20 years, on November 1st, I have felt like hell. I mean, I have felt like someone, an army of people have beat me with a bat, threw me off a cliff, and left me to die. That's what I feel like on November 1st every year. Happy Halloween, drop. <laughs> you know it, too. Oh, I, I'm right there with you. The, the, the season just takes everything out of us. But it's a joy. Like, we love it. Oh, it's I love it. But it's a labor just, of love. I'm like, what I'm saying is, staying in a coffin with your phone, I'm like, is it air conditioned? Because if it is, I'm <laughs> fine with that. Completely fine with that. Yeah. Totally. 
Fans of the Friday the 13th Slasher series will be happy to know that the Crystal Lake Tour Company will be opening the grounds of Camp Crystal Lake for specific dates leading up to Halloween and for two weekends in November. The tours will include a bunch of different filming locations and photo ops for die-hard fans. There's also a special night tour that's being offered for the first time where tour guests will have to navigate the grounds of Camp Crystal Lake, complete with licensed ambient music, of course, in the dark with only their flashlights to guide them. Are you going to get us? Let's go. We should do do it. Where is that? Let's go. Camp Crystal Lake B. Ooh, oh my gosh. Forgive me. Camp Crystal. Well, while you do that, as soon as you started that sentence, I was like, oh my God, we're so doing that because I love that. If you're able to go there at night with that kind of like ambiance and energy, especially with music, like that would be so cool. Oh, we have to go. It's in Northwestern New Jersey. So let's all wait. (laughs) Super scary. (laughs) (laughs) The scariest part is going to be how cold it is. Uh, That wouldn't mind that. But, you know, I remember when they remade uh, at Universal Studios for the Horror Nights, Halloween Horror Nights here in California, they remade the Michael Myers house from Halloween one and you could walk through it. It was so mm-hmm. amazing. It was, it good. was so good. You, it, you were just you in the house and even you walked in the backyard with the sheets blowing. You had to walk through them. I mean, it was amazing. So if something like this sounds equally interesting for sure. Yeah, it was really good. Since trick-or-treating is effectively canceled nationwide this year, uh, Sour Patch Kids, yes, the sour and sweet gummy candies, have started a reverse trick-or-treating campaign to hopefully bring a little Halloween cheer to kids across the U.S. In a video announcement, the candy company announced a sweepstakes where people can submit the names of their towns, and on Halloween, a giant jack-o'-lantern-shaped car will come by and give out candy door-to-door. To me, this is kind of equal parts like what the fuck and also really adorable. I feel like things like this don't really happen anymore. It feels like super like 80s and 90s. And I don't know, like the idea that there's like a generation of kids who are going to miss out on trick-or-treating bums me out. Oh God, it bums me out too. And I love this idea and I love Sour Patch Kids, but I like the version that's like mega sour, Ooh. the super sour ones. Uh-huh. Like I want it to like roast the layer, uh, the top layer of my tongue and oh. the roof of my mouth so that after I eat a bag, I know it very well for days because there's like nothing there. Girl. It's so raw. There was a, this is such a stupid story, but one time I had like this like jumbo bag of sour Skittles and I was like, girl, why is my tongue bleeding? And I looked and I had like literally rubbed it raw. <laughs> well, I love the idea of a giant pumpkin cone. I mean, it's yes. so campy yeah, and totally. dumb. I love it. It is very 80s. I, I wish people would do more stuff like that. Like I miss that kind of stuff. Me too. You know why I didn't do it? Because I don't know, people would always get hurt and everyone's so like so happy nowadays. It's like you can't. It'll like accidentally run someone over or they'll throw a sour patch and kill some kid or but something. The driver will want to party a little bit and she'll get drunk and then, you know, something happens and people get upset. It's so annoying. I mean, or- if you're in a giant pumpkin delivering candy on Halloween and you're not drunk, you're doing something <laughs> wrong. <laughs> it, it sounds like the three of us should hijack this vehicle <laughs> and we should deliver the candy. No, we would make it fun, though. That wouldn't even feel like work, especially for the little kids. It's such a magical moment totally. for them and to think that they're getting robbed of it, it just, it really sucks. No, totally. I mean, I feel like Halloween, like what you said, Halloween is kind of the one time where I accept like little kids and they're like bullshittery I'm like this is adorable I hope that you enjoy this one day of the year the rest of it get out of my face but for (laughs) this I'm like oh my god ah, you're so scary well remember there's some cool little kids out there too there must be I was a cool little kid and I wasn't annoying Mm. so there must be other kids like that out there I wasn't I was not an annoying little kid it's true. Sure, Jan. <laughs> mm-hmm. Same. Now, you want to know? I believe that. I believe that you actually were because I know you were quiet and yeah. it, it wasn't until you met me that I really ripped that. that <laughs> You're loud so loud. Voice. I had I to know. like snap and just fight back. You You're know? welcome. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, last but not least, I have a cryptozoology update for anyone hoping to find a real-life monster to avoid this Halloween season. Uh, several listeners actually wrote in to tell me about this one, so thank you to everyone who submitted this. A giant caterpillar has been discovered in Virginia that is covered in what looks like bushy fur, but are actually individual venomous spines covered in barbs capable of injecting venom into its victims that has been described by scientists as the most venomous in the nation. The caterpillars can be three to four inches long and two inches thick, which may not seem like a big deal, but considering that most caterpillars are like, you know, like an inch long or whatever, these are pretty huge. Uh, The best part about them is the name, though. Are you guys ready? Ready. Oh, yeah. They are officially called Harry Puss Caterpillars. <laughs> yes. No. Yes. Well, a true gift from the universe. <laughs> oh, you love that. I know you love that. I really loved writing in the script, too. I was like, ooh, this is it. This is my joke. Oh, my God. What, like, 12-year-old Ian is, like, a little kid, like, writing his paper, his return paper, like, Harry Puss. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, that is all I have for you today. Thank you for having wow. me and happy Halloween. Those were some great items. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you so much for all those informative updates, Ian. <laughs> uh, the time has come for our creature feature movie review. This episode, we've chosen 20th Century Studios and Marvel Entertainment's New Mutants. It is the 13th and final movie in the X-Men Marvel U, and it's kind of perfect because we're featuring it on our 13th episode of the Blade Brothers Creatures of the Night. Um, New Mutants was directed by Josh Boone. It's still in theater, so if you haven't seen it yet, you can still rush out and check it out. The original release date, however, was slated for April of 2018. And this movie was delayed multiple times. Yes, like over like two and a half years or something. It's finally come out. Um, and, it, and it's kind of felt like the title is cursed. And I think a lot of people felt that way uh, because of the multiple delays. Um, so here we are. What did you guys think? I will start by saying this would be the first item on our psychic verification process that we did, you know, a couple episodes ago. We all said that we thought this movie would never come out. (laughs) And it came out right after we said that. So clearly we're off to a bad start on that. Uh, Nobody got any points so far. I feel like we summoned that. I'm with Ian on that. I feel like there's something to that. The fact that we all ixnate it, I think, in our cabal of triplicity like we we brought it into the universe Uh, maybe it was the universe being like you all don't know what you're talking about here is a confirmation (laughs) well if the if that's how the universe feels i feel like maybe the universe should have just taken our advice then (laughs) so i Uh well you know why don't you what you start let us know what you thought of it let them know the taste. Um, <laughs> I, I'm a little conflicted about this movie. I, I have kind of like a deep love of the X-Men films uh, with like Rebecca Romaine as Mystique. Um, I know we're kind of removed from that. And so you know, the, the trailer for this and the idea of like a, an X-Men universe movie that also has like horror themes, I was like, oh my God, sign me up. And, and it started, and I was like, okay, I'm here, I'm here. And then everyone started acting, and I was like, oh my god, I wish I wasn't here. <laughs> so you weren't a fan of any of the actors? I, yeah, and I, I was not a fan of the acting. I'm really, I was disappointed because there's some really great actors on this cast, like Maisie Williams, uh, who plays Rainey, um, Anya Taylor-Joy, who is the main character from The Witch. Like, these are two kind of, to me, like powerhouses. And I felt like both of them were just like, like stuck with like bad writing and bad dialogue. Mm. Like, I mean, watching Anya Taylor-Joy like struggle 
through this Russian accent for an hour and a half. I was like, oh my God, please just stop. Wait, delivering the lines, lions and tigers and bears. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> please do not insult the intelligence of the audience like this. Like writers of the universe, if you're going to try to write intelligently, don't assume that your audience are full of like rejects. Like we can all think, mm-hmm. we all have brains. Use some sophisticated dialogue. I hate when it just gets watered down to this ridiculous, these ridiculous one-liners. Why don't we start with the the casting and the actors then? Sure. So we know how Ian feels. I think that the casting was actually pretty decent, I feel. Mm. I think that Maisie Williams was honestly like the quintessential Wolfsbane. Because I used to read the New Mutants comics forever. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very familiar with all of them and their stories. And I, when I think about her playing that character and I think back to those comics, I'm like, dead ringer. And she acted the part very well, I thought. Okay. Now, I did think Anya Taylor-Joy as magic was very strange. Yeah. Um, I, I just feel like... And I don't know if it was her, you know, or I do think maybe they should have cast her a little younger hmm. um, because I felt like she seemed a little too old because the, the magic that I remember was always kind of one of the younger ones of the new mutants. Um, she was a little smaller and anyways, uh, she also wasn't a total, uh, edge Lord bitch. So there was that. I don't know that cast was so, or the, the, the writing was so weird. The characterization that they gave them. I mean, like I said, for they nailed Wolfsbane, I think cannonball was so weird. It was like an abuse uh-huh. victim, which, Super emo. Like I always pictured Cannonball way more kind of like corn fed country boy, like blonde Mm -hmm. hair and freckles, skinny, like kind of the the build was right, but I didn't picture him like so, so emo. The darkness was there in the original storyline, but you know, he was certainly more what you're talking about a little more like normal jockey white dude, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But this, they flipped it. It was like kind of angry, abused, dark nerd kind of yeah. energy. Yeah. What about Robert Acosta's sunspot as like a total like? Well, he Latino was hot, so I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he was hot, like, and, I, and I, I was a, a a big fan of all the X titles, and I read New Mutants, and I'm very familiar with the character, but I never pictured him kind of like this like Latino stud. And I don't think I'm complaining about it now. Not complaining, but he he definitely wasn't that. He was like more leaner in the comic, and yeah. this one he was like a colossus like muscle build. Yeah, I mean, I I did think he was hot, but I did also. Think think of the characters and their backstories i'm like this is the character that i one know the least about and two i care the least about like his and i feel like even what they try to tell you is like oh he you know spoilers he like he roasted his girlfriend who cares i'm like i'm like okay cool there's potential here for like emotional backstory but instead i'm just treated to like shirtless pool scene which again not complaining yeah so let's go on to danny moonstar who kind of became a really central character in the comics and was the star of this movie who was played by Blue Hunt. I mean, this. Uh, I think this casting was probably the worst. I felt that as the lead role, this, you know, actress was awful. It was an awful choice. Not that, she, you know, it, it, she felt very Nickelodeon, Disney little yes. kid movie to me, and it ruined it for me. It really did. Yeah, there was something about just the delivery of her lines and hi, I'm not an actor. I don't know how to act. But at the very least, I feel like I can look at something and say, mm, this is not good. And Blue Hunt delivered all those lines with about as much like grace and I don't know, like panache as like a fucking shotgun. I was like, this is rough, mama. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't 
that into her character either. I was more interested in how they were going to do magic and how they were going to do Wolfsbane. I mean, these were some of my favorite characters back then too. Um, and I'll agree with what you said, Drac. Like, I, I feel like magic was a little bit too old and I kind of like the bitchiness. I, and, and I love that hair. Like, I'm really glad that they, oh, they portrayed like, her sure. that way, you know, cause they could have, she had like a bunch of different like looks. So I thought she looked pretty right. I think overall people would be excited if they were fans of, New Mutants, the comic book, they'd probably find some level of enjoyment just by seeing them brought to life on the silver screen. And the idea that, oh, hey, we're going to take Mirage's powers where she can manifest these fears and make them super fears and create, you know, play on all of her teammates' fears and put them in this context where this could be an actual bonafide horror movie with superpower levels of scary. But that's not what actually happened at all. There's an animated version of Teen Titans that was on uh, Cartoon Network. I think it was like in the early 2000s. And there's an episode where Raven basically does the plot of New Mutants. Like she sees a horror movie and she's like afraid of it, but she's afraid to kind of say that she's scared. And her fears manifest as this like giant, just like evil monster that just like terrorized the Teen Titans. That's her dad, Trigon. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, the nerd Edgelord squad here. That's right. But yeah, I just ruined her too, but we'll get into that on <laughs> yeah, another episode. That's different. Yeah, so I don't know. I feel, like, I feel like there's so much potential and like Mirage's power, I feel like is the coolest part of this movie. And just the way that they handle it, I was like, eh, it's a blunder. Um, I will say though, the one thing I did really like about the movie that I had no idea about, and I kind of feel like they should have just really leaned in with the marketing was like the queer aspect of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I, I had no idea. So the second that Moonstar, Danny and Rainy started kind of like their infatuation, I was like, oh my God. <gasps> oh my God, yes, lesbian film, yes. And then I feel like even uh, Cannonball and Sunspot, like even though they're not like portrayed as gay characters, I was like, oh, they are definitely fucking around and in, 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 yeah, like, doing totally. the dishes. Absolutely. Yeah, I feel like every character in this was super queer, which I mean, we all, I think we all kind of know like X-Men is explicitly like a an analog to, you know, queer people's uh, struggles. So I just, I really loved that. And I wished that I would have, or I wish that they would have marketed it more and been mm. like, this is gay. Go see yeah. it, gays. Well, I'm kind of happy that they didn't. And here's why. Because remember, this came, this point came up in our last film review for Uncle Peckerhead, which also had queer characters in it that we didn't expect to see. It makes me think that we're going to start seeing queer characters in film and not them making a big deal about it, which I think is kind of great. It means yeah. they're just, you know, sliding them in. Valid, and, very yeah, valid. It's yeah, kind of normalizing it, which I'm a fan of that. But I agree. It would have been nice to know. Um but yeah, I, I, maybe it's a, a good sign for the future. I do think you're right. I think maybe maybe my actual point with it then is the the marketing and the lead up to this movie was so. I mean, obviously it's been like you know two years since it was supposed to come out. I'm like, just hail mary pass. Like, just tell the gays that it's full of homos and we'll all go see it. Like, <laughs> like instead of just being like, it's gonna be good. We promise at some point. One thing that I liked to see about New Mutants was that it was very female centric. Mm-hmm. Um, like most of the characters were female, the leads were female, the the uh, antagonist was female, and we don't often see that um, in in many movies. Uh, and I don't think it's a detractor that maybe the, the script wasn't the greatest. It's just kind of cool to see we're living in a world where you know seven females and two males can carry a whole cast, and it you know, I, and I like that kind of casting. That mm-hmm. being said, I did feel like overall the movie felt void of a cast i felt like we had some main characters and it felt so empty and and kind of gray and not even in a good way it just was like where are the other people like they're Mm -hmm. needed that that dr ray is absolutely not strong enough to carry the entire i'm like 
you're the only person here. Like, does that mean? And you know, I always do ruin it with she this. Sure I'm like, does. are you? So you're locking these kids up, and you're the only person here. So I assume you're the maid, you're the cook, mm-hmm. you're serving them three meals a day, and doing science stuff in the back. I'm like, you're and not she, doing any of that. And she's security, and she's the and, head exactly. Oh, I'm girl. like, and. and, and Force field queen. I'm like, come on. And she's the one delivering the two hour long monologue before she tries to kill people. I'm like, girl, just inject her and get it over with. As the person that does a lot for our team, I know that that's fake because I can do a lot, but I can't cook for you all at the same time. Girl, if a, a Dr. Reyes needs at least a Drac, a Swan, and an Ian. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. That is true. That too. Well, again, like the, the Uncle Pecker had from the last episode, then with their list of, we're going to go on tour and here's our list. I was like, there's seven items there, Sherry. You need like 400 items. <laughs> yeah, at least 70. You know, there was one other thing that kind of brought to, got brought to my mind when I was watching this that I think New Mutants shares a lot of DNA with Dream Warriors, Nightmare on Elm Street. Street three because we go into this world where kids are trapped they're teenagers their fears are coming reality and in in this movie we have a mutant whose man powers manifest people's fears in nightmare on elm street three we have you know their dreams and their nightmares coming to life very similar vibe lots of shared dna just handled very differently yeah i agree i read an article with josh boone the director and he directly cited uh nightmare on elm street three as like one of the influences really interesting i didn't read that yeah it was uh that and then also one flew over the cuckoo's nest and i'm like okay i can see the dna here the the one thing i did not appreciate he was like oh it's gonna be it's gonna be really scary it's gonna be the hardest pg-13 movie you've ever seen i'm like girl don't do that don't do that here's the thing they had the elements they needed to make a great R-rated horror movie, and then they threw it out the window. Just push it. Just do the R rating. Yeah. Lean in. That's yes. my advice on this it one. Up, especially with the, with uh, magics like sexual assault and those things that were tormenting. Mm-hmm. I mean, the adult nature was there. It's like why why dance along the edge? I, I'm glad that you brought that up because I the whole time I I was thinking about that. I was like, okay, you know, like they are dancing around this, and it's hi, just just say it. It's sexual assault. Like this character was raped, and like just I don't know, like lean into the horror of this experience. Like instead of the way that they kind of candy coated it, I was like, it just feels weird. It feels half assed. And then we're introduced to probably the coolest effect of the movie, which is like the smiling men. Yeah, I was like, I, I'm not scared of them partly because Anya Taylor joy is like kind of just wailing like a weirdo and the story behind it. I'm like, I just, I don't know. I guess I wish that they would just say like, hi, this is an R movie and it's uncomfortable. Get into it. I thought that they were actually pretty scary. I agree. Those things scared me. And I, I found myself smiling and kind of laughing in the theater. Cause often that's like my reaction to fear. Like I, I start laughing and I was really enjoying myself when those, those, those uh, smiling men were coming out to attack everyone. What wasn't scary was that, log flume from Disney looking bear that busted through. I was like, (laughs) this literally looks like you're on the log ride at Disney and that thing tries to scare you at the end in a little kid-like way. Oh, totally. I just saw a, like, I guess like a bunch of concept art got released and there was one, like, alternate version where it was very kind of like, shadowed and dark like with these kind of almost like tendrils of just darkness that came out i was like oh my god what the hell like this is so cool looking like no sorry it's like i don't know like smoky the bear <laughs> like don't smoke in the forest kids so bad and then it was like you know it never seemed that threatening you know i'm like first of all i mean these are details that no one cares about but i'm like <laughs> you like destroy this whole building but then, okay, here's Wolfsbane is like hiding in this little confessional, which is made out of like one inch thick plywood. <laughs> and you're beating on that thing for like 20 minutes. I'm like, are you kidding? So you knocked the whole roof off of the stone structure in one swipe, half a second. 
but it takes you like 35 minutes to beat your way into this confessional. That's dumb. I mean, isn't that something about like Catholic guilt too? Like, <laughs> Don't try it. It's, it's called buying time for a, a, a script that didn't make any sense. You know, on the note of the demon bear, I felt like, again, this is like, just push it to the hard R. Just, just go with it. Like, you know, I feel like they would have had a way more successful film. Like even the death of Dr. Reyes, I'm like, okay, so there's, like she just gets, I mean, munched, but there's no blood. There's no anything. I'm like, cool. Who cares? Yeah. Take her away. <laughs> I didn't understand her purpose. I felt like that, that just really her character wasn't flushed out very well. You know, it's like you, you kind of understand it in the beginning and then it starts to lose focus. And then they're just like, well, I don't know what to do with her. Let's kill her. <laughs> well, let me just be clear. I, I'd like you guys to clarify. Did you like the movie? <laughs> I'd say I 20. I like the tone of it initially. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it had good raw material, but I did not like the final product. Yeah. I mean, I, never, I don't ever want to say like, I hated this. Don't ever go watch it. Like, I think that everyone should go form their own opinion. You should go see it. And if you like the X-Men and you like, you want to see a movie, sure, go see it. Did I like it? I did not like it. Movies are art and art is subjective. subjective. The thing that we're judging these movies on today <laughs> is their ability to make the movie based on the judgment criteria that we propose. Okay. Work, mama. (laughs) Well, on that note, we're going to take a break. And when we return, we'll be answering listener questions and exploring the supernatural origins of one of the Halloween season's most iconic images, the jack-o'-lantern. Don't move. Arda Wiggs has been serving looks in the drag and costume community since 2009. Their reputation in the wig world is well known for providing luscious, thick, snatchingly good styles that turn heads and ensure you are serving the most devilish of looks. With over 100 colors and 80 styles to choose from, they're sure to have something to make you scream. Use the code ARDABOULE10 for 10% off at arda-wigs.com and treat yourself to something truly hair-raising. Welcome back, uglies. It's time for one of our favorite segments of the show, listener questions. I think we're going to bring in Ian once more like we did on the last episode and have him read us the questions so that we have an extra second or two to ponder our answer. I love that. Thank you for having me back. I'm super excited for this section. Uh, Martina asks, what is your favorite Stephen King adaptation and what is your favorite Stephen King book if you have read any? My favorite adaption is Misery because I think that movie is truly horrifying. Um, and I'm going to say, I guess I'll say Pet Cemetery as far as book. It's a really easy read, but at the time, that's just what I needed and it hit the spot. I love that you reminded me of Misery because I'm going to have to agree with you. That's so good. And, and it really kind of just hits this note of horror that I don't know if any of the other ones do. And I've seen a lot of them like Sleepwalkers and It and uh, Pet Cemetery and Misery. Um, but I'm going to agree with Jack on that one. And I think I did myself a disservice because I was like in sixth grade and I was like, I want to read a Stephen King book. And I didn't know which one to pick. So I chose The Stand and I tried 
And I tried again. And that book sat on my bookshelf probably for like two or three years. And then I was like in high school and I'm like, fuck that book. I am never going to read a Stephen King book. And I actually never have. So I've only enjoyed his movies. I've got no answer for my favorite book. Speaking of, I kind of want to add a literary section to the podcast. And I think we could assign a book. We could read it and the listeners could read it. And then we can all talk about it. We might want to consider Children of the Corn, which is a Stephen King book, um, a reread for me. But we could read that and discuss it. So if we do that, maybe we'll announce on the next episode and we'll let everyone do that. Okay, I love that idea. I'll have to learn how to read first, but you can listen to it on your audio book. Like you always do. Perfect. (laughs) Krista asks, was the Dragula theme music created for the TV show or was it always a part of the live club version? The Dragula theme was uh, designed and created specifically for the show. Um, I think a lot of the DNA for the show came from the club version, but the theme was not one of them. We needed a theme song to open um, the new television iteration of Dragula. And I worked with uh, a DJ friend of ours who was spinning a lot of our events and a good friend of ours on creating the theme song. And I think it's become such an iconic part of people's Dragula experience. Gotta love it. You know, an interesting tidbit for listeners that they may not know is that the DJ who DJed the majority of the Dragula live events, um, and he was there from the beginning, who helped choose the sound for the, the night for the live party, is the one that made the song with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we like to keep our, our, our loyalties and our circle uh, groups are very small, and they, our loyalties run very long, and we like to keep the same people around us for years and years. Uh, interesting. On that note, you'll see some people from our club days in uh, season three of the show and our opening skits. Like you see Melissa Brown, mm. um, who was like a kind of an iconic club character. And what, you know, like in the late, what, 2016, around there or something. Uh, yeah, she made an appearance. There's lots of people in there. If you look, the House of Avalon was in there. Yeah, of course, Kitty is in there. Yeah. Gadia asks, do you think the fans are intimidated by you? I think some are and some aren't. Um, I do. I, it, I forget, you know, about our image and how people perceive us when we do meet and greets a lot of times people will be trembling when they come up in line which always freaks me out because like i'm not going to do anything to you but i don't know i guess it could be intimidating you know i've never been starstruck like that with people before so i don't totally understand it but i appreciate it you forget how powerful you are Mm, i didn't say that (laughs) toasted media says I wanted to know, since you're big cult film fans, do you prefer collecting physical media or watching films digitally? (laughs) It's so funny that this gets posed today. So last night at 1.30 a.m., I came into my office and I picked up my entire DVD collection of all my movies. And I mean, these go back a long time. And I threw them into the trash chute. All of them. Piles and piles of DVDs. I decided that I will never watch them since I have never watched them since I bought them a million years ago. And they're trash. So there they are. If anyone is interested, you can come to my building and... (laughs) And rummage through the trash. No, don't do that really, though. That's scary. That's its own scary movie. Uh, Yeah, the, the short answer is I think we like to keep things digital. Not just because we don't want to accumulate a bunch of like physical media things around the media that we like, but we generally like to live kind of simply we don't like a lot of stuff um yeah. so it's just easier to keep files digitally the one thing that i do have that i will never throw away 
is the entire Halloween movie collection on VHS. But I think they're more decorative. I mean, clearly, I'm never going to get a VHS and watch them. Although now we have a bunch after the resurrection. (laughs) Billy writes, I have a question pertaining to your mentioning of your love of the Real Housewives franchises on Whimsically Volatile. Ooh. I love how you refer to the different franchises with the name of your favorite housewife. Example, Nene, or when you refer to Beverly Hills as Lisa. Do you mean Vanderpump or Rena? Furthermore, who are your favorite housewives of all time? That's a multi-tiered question. Sure so it is. there's a multi-tiered answer. I think at the time we met Lisa Vanderpump. But now I think we call it Kyle. Because Lisa's no longer on there. And Kyle's become more of a central figure. I love Lisa Renna. So I would gladly call it Lisa if it was based off of uh, who's our favorite. But... I think Kyle is the most prominent cast member. Yeah, I'm going to agree. Kyle has become um, the HBIC. She's moved into like the pole position. She runs the bitches. So let's Um, go through each. Before we do, I also want to express my love for Lisa Renna, not only because I just love her character, it's because she's probably the one I personally relate to the most. Oh my God. Absolutely. Wow. So, well, I don't know your, why you're saying, wow, we'll, we'll get to Jersey <laughs> and the one that you relate to the most. So let's go through it. So let's start in New York. Let's just do this quick. Cause this let's is try. not that podcast. Uh, is it quick? Go ahead. Uh, so fav- your favorite from New York, just quick. What do you think? Well, who's mine? Yeah. Mine is Aviva. <laughs> oh, God. So Period. Crazy. Um, I'm going to say the Countess. Okay. Uh, Jersey. Gotta be Teresa. Yours is mine is is it's it's the original cast. It's not necessarily one person. I did like Caroline a lot in yeah. the beginning, although that changed. But at, at first, I liked her. But I liked them all together. Yeah, it was so you good. Know? We have to admit, season one, season two, Caroline is like your kind of totem. Yeah, housewife. Yeah, don't fuck with my family. <laughs> You're a clown. <laughs> You're a clown. I know. Seriously, I can see myself delivering. Half Absolutely. Um. But, and I hate the cast now, I'm going to say that loud and proud for anyone that's listening. I hate the cast of Jersey now. But let's go on to Atlanta. Okay, Atlanta, for me, Mm -hmm. and this is like my, maybe my favorite housewife of all time is Sheree Whitfield. I live for Sheree, like early Sheree, though. Early Sheree for me, too. Let's go on to, what's the next city? Let's go over to Orange County. Yeah, Orange County, I think Tamra? I guess it has to be Tamra, right? I mean... I love to see. I'm not a super fan of Vicky's, but I think her insanity adds something to the show. Yeah. What's the one that, like, she's added to the cast recently? She's there now again. She's young. Brown Wind. Super, not Brown Wind. <laughs> she's kind of like slutty in a fabulous way. Like, she owns it all. I love her too. She's know. really, like, offensive and kind of crazy. She's like, you're a cunt. Oh, Kelly. Kelly is kind of amazing, too. Kelly from Orange County is kind I of amazing. I can't get down with Kelly. I think she has some... Uh, she just married a reporter from Fox News. No, I know. No, I know. She's like she's definitely a chaos factor. That's why Let's I like her. Let's move up to Beverly Hills. She, 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 darling. She, darling. Beverly Hills, darling. She, 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 she. Um, Camille. Oh, Camille's a good one. You know what? Camille's not getting any love recently. I'm yeah. going to go with Camille, too. Yeah, because... 
everywhere she goes, she just brings it and they don't want it. I love Kim too, when she actually lets herself act crazy and Kyle doesn't suppress her. Yeah. <laughs> She's just trying to help her, but I like when she doesn't help her because it's much more Okay, fun. well, we, we went really in. Maybe we'll have to do a, its own podcast where the Boulay Brothers review and just go in on that. I don't even think Ian would listen to that. So anyway. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. I mean, I've only watched New York and Atlanta, but I mean, I have my favorites from those, so it's okay. <laughs> uh, I'm really disappointed that uh, Portia did not get mentioned for Atlanta. Oh, because- I do love Portia, though. I do love me some Portia. And what's the other one? Um, Phaedra? No, not Phaedra. Oh, Phaedra oh, Phaedra's is good. My God, Atlanta is so good. Phaedra. No, she's the one that's like... <laughs> Now she's like an auntie, and it's like kind of weird because it's totally Marlo. Marlo, oh. I love Marlo. Yeah, <laughs> I know that's about, the chaos. I, I'm gonna say one more thing about Housewives, and then we're moving. <laughs> I don't understand why they don't ever talk about Marlo's real history because she is shady. Oh, I mean, yeah. she's done like crazy criminal shit, and you they just check will my charges. Not, they will not. They will not talk about it. I don't know why. Just before we push off the dock on the Housewives boat officially. We did watch a couple of seasons of Miami, and it wasn't very memorable, except for that psychic grandma. Mama Elsa. So fierce. Mama Elsa, yes. Yes. (laughs) Had to give a shout out. Shout out to Mama Elsa. Uh, Matthew writes, what's Israel like outside of his dark and broody demeanor? I'd love to see him break character behind the scenes. So people don't know, but we hang out. I mean, Israel, we're with Israel when we're not on the show. Like, we're around Israel all the time. And he's kind of like he is on the show. It's just what you think he's brooding. He's kind of like we joke and call him Smiley Daddy because it's like he's actually... You think he looks mean, but he's really just like, there's just a question mark in his head. And when you talk to him, he'll talk about, he's fine. He's like nice. He's not like mean or anything. Yeah, I was going to say, he's the same dark and broody kind of like daddy character that you see on Dragula mixed with like a bitchy high school girl from time to time. But that's a side of him. But he also has, for the most part, he's very mild mannered and calm. And he's like a crystal hippie. Like trapped in a muscle daddy body, but he can be a real bitch sometimes. I mean, and Ian knows this more than anybody. I don't know if you want to like not speak on it, but she's got that side. Israel and I have made up. We no longer fight. Uh, I sent him a message one time that was like, hey, I just want to let you know, like claws retracted. Can't wait to hang out again. And that's true. And that's all I have to say about it. (laughs) I liked it when you guys used to fight when it was just light, like almost like you guys were about the fuck kind of banter. But then it got real. And I was like, I don't like that anymore. Like, so I'm glad you guys made up. Yeah. yeah, no, actually, I love Israel. He, I think the thing that people probably don't know about him is that he's a huge nerd. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my gosh, she a nerd mama. She yeah. and I, we talk about video games, and that's our, that's our We're all kind of, I think the best people in the world are nerds. True. Yeah. Daphne writes, why Shudder? I would love to talk about why Shudder, because, you know, I think Shudder's a great platform for the spinoff, you know? Like, Shudder is... <sighs> It's just a unique place. It holds a unique space in the world right now and that it's all horror. It's an AMC affiliate. So, you know, they have resources to make quality content um, and they love the show. That's a big part of it, too. You know, you don't know how many doors get slammed in our face, despite you all probably see the success that the show has, the press that it gets. I mean, there are very few mainstream shows that get the kind of press that our show gets, but we still get doors slammed at our face so many times because it's too weird or people don't understand it. And it's like, well, fans clearly understand it. You can see these ratings and numbers, but they don't care. It's the TV world is very conservative. Shutter embraces us. They love what we do and we love them. Exactly. I was going to add, but I don't need to. You really nailed it. 
Adam writes, my question regards your iconic costumes. Do you have a favorite look you've pulled off either on or off the show? And is there a dream look you'd love to execute? I wish I would need time with something like this. I mean, the ones that jump to mind are the Monsters of Rock look from the third season, the one with like the big hair and it was like inter- it was like outer space and red vinyl with the big claw headpiece. I loved that. The finale of season two when we were kind of channeling the Transylvanians from outer space. Um, yeah, I think we've, we've channeled a lot of the ones that we really love. I, I, I have to give a special shout out to the season one crowning look when we basically had the reimagination of Lily's dress from legend, yeah. uh, which is a dress I always wanted to have made. And one of my favorite moments in that dress is because we filmed that really close to the Halloween ball is walking down that huge runway at the Los Angeles Halloween ball in those dresses to the theme music from that movie, not the theme music, darkness. but the, the, yeah, the, track, the darkness. song called darkness. And if you do try to go find it, there are two soundtracks to that movie. The one that you're going to find is awful. and is not the music that we walked down to. We walked down to the original soundtrack, which is very hard to find made by Tangerine dream. Tangerine, and if you yeah. can find it, it is a really, it's a must have. Like, yeah. Another iconic look also from season one. And someone came across, um, my feed today on our social they were like i love this It's still one of my favorite looks which is our zombie look where we're in those um we call it the prairie witch oh yeah people yeah love that's a that really look. good one yeah. too really striking episode three of the first season i think my favorite was the hospital gown from the opening of season three because it was extremely comfortable <laughs> she was comfortable <laughs> she really <laughs> was all i had on and i loved it <laughs> i didn't even have shoes on it's great Kim wants to know, I'm currently watching Killer Clowns from Outer Space, and I would love to hear your opinion. Classic or trash? This is so easy. Both. I mean, such a trashy, weird, only could have been produced in the 80s kind of classic movie. That's a great horror movie. I love it. Um, That is one of my favorite, like, offbeat horror movies. I love Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I watched that movie so many times. I basically know it like the back of my hand. And speaking of earlier, we're speaking about Universal Studios Horror Nights. They reimagined or they they brought the set of Killer Clowns from Outer Space and rebuilt it. And it was like perfect. It was amazing. It was executed just just perfect. Also, for those of you that are fans of the Blade Brothers Dragula and season one, Zochi Mochi literally escaped from that spaceship. And that's that's his origin story. Absolutely. No, Zochi takes huge influence from Killer Clowns. So we want to give a shout out to Zochi Mochi. <laughs> I'd really like to see Zochi again at some point. Me too. Ryan says, are there any horror films you can recommend that actually scared you? Um, I think a couple that jumped to mind that I've seen in recent years. I think number one is Hereditary. It actually did scare me, but that's really not saying too much because I get scared. Like just because I make horror content and I'm a, you know, queen of the underworld or however you want to say it, like horror movies scare me. I will be like sinking in my chair fingers in front of my eyes and it's just like moth to the flame. I can't look away, but I have to watch and I'm, you know, I freak out and it's kind of why you can make good content. If, <laughs> yeah. you, if it didn't get a reaction out of you, it's like, why would, you know, why would you even be interested in that genre? Yeah. And another movie that kind of scared me too, just cause I, I didn't know where it was going. I didn't really know anything about it when I watched it was uh, the taking of Deborah Logan, which I think is a 
Is it Shutter Original? Mm, I don't think so. I can't remember, but it, it was an it, it had a release that was sort of strange. I just came across it online. Maybe it was like a Netflix original. The Taking of Deborah Logan is a great movie that plays on some of the same issues that Hereditary did: mental health and aging. And it just the ending is just killer. Like probably one of the best endings I think I can think of. Period in the whole horror genre. I think a movie that. I guess you could say scare me and I don't, I wouldn't even say it's a horror movie, but it's a horror movie to me is Requiem for a dream. Mm. That movie probably got the most terrified reaction from me of any movie because it really speaks to that existential dread in a way that is soul crushing. Yeah. Um, I remember just being in the theater and seeing that and just like left like a husk. You were destroyed. I I was was. with you. I remember. I don't like movies like that. They definitely get a reaction out of me. Um, You know, it depends also what other horror movies have scared me, you know, through the years it changes. I remember, uh, you know, the first movie I ever saw was Dracula when I was like four years old. But shortly after that, I was at my cousin's house and the movie Halloween, the original was playing in the background. I just keep seeing the white mask go across the screen. I thought it was so terrified. I was like so terrified by that mask for the longest time. Mm. Um, and then I think in more modern history, I think... Um, uh, the Blair Witch was pretty terrifying because I go camping all the time. I love camping, and that was like that shit could happen for real. That could easily happen. It would not scare me today, but at the time it did. Um, and I think modern movies, there's nothing that's really gotten that reaction out of me. I think that movie Mother kind of psychologically bothered me, but it didn't scare me. It just kind of drove me insane. You're difficult to scare, though. Generally, like I, I, I know this because we see everything together, and I'm like, I'm freaking out. She's not. There's nothing. You're, you're, you're totally unscathed, unbothered, and just showing no sign of being affected at all. I'm like, what's going on here? I get scared by like emails. Because, like, when I check my email in the morning, I'm like, what now? You know, or sometimes turning on social media, I'm like, okay, what did someone do today? Wow, that is really scary. (laughs) It is. I'm just telling you the truth. It gives me anxiety. Ian knows. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we could probably have, like, we could make our own scary movie just called, like, like urgent email. (laughs) Like, you know, we'd never be able to watch it. Sounds lame, but shit like that's scary to me. It's just the way it is. Lemon Boy wants to know. My listener question is: How does Drac deal with a moody Swanthula? Oh, <laughs> a little touche question. You know what? I don't. I don't. I don't know how to deal with a moody Swanthula because a moody Swanthula is like there's nothing you can do. It's so irrational. It's just uh, I don't know what to do. I just uh, have to say the good outweighs the bad, and I tolerate it. And hopefully. <laughs> For her, it'll stay that way. Oh, my God. I can't even comment. It's true. There's nothing that Drac can do. There's nothing that even I can do. It's a ride that we all have to just uh, white knuckle until it's over. Molly says, do the exterminated queens on Dragula get any say in what their death scenes are like or based on? Absolutely not. No, not at all. They never have and they never will. Samantha writes, Drac made a comment in an earlier podcast that on stage, she's usually hoping the texts don't uh, stuff up any cues. And it made me wonder how your tours work. Do you have a stage manager? I presume Ian and your own tech crew, or do you use venue staff? 
Um, so we usually travel with Ian, who is the stage manager, and we usually have a sound person with us, too, that controls all the sound cues and tracks and uh, so a DJ. Um, we do not usually travel with a lighting tech. That's something we probably should add, but since every venue is so different and we only have a few hours usually to run through cues, um, it is a laborious process that each place we go to, we have to work with their sound person and they usually suck. Yeah. I'd have to say that the Dragula touring show is very much like a theatrical experience. Drac and I curate it from moment one to moment done. Um, and it's not because we don't trust other people or we're control freaks, even though we are probably guilty a little bit on both counts. We really want to put together and curate an amazing experience for the audience. So we take the tracks and the performances that the monsters are going to do and how we're going to how we're going to present ourselves everything is super theatrical it's planned out it's plotted so yeah we have to kind of sweat through a, a tech rehearsal every stop and every day but um at this point we're so used to it that it's just it's just something it's a kind of a necessary evil i do want to thank ian because he's the one that suffers through it literally every stop he you know when we get off that tour bus he doesn't go to the hotel and rest or eat. He goes right to the venue and stays there until the curtains open. So thank you always for doing that. You are very welcome. I do want to say uh, thank you to you both. We're a great team. I think we're like a really well-oiled machine. And uh, I probably don't have to say this for anyone who's already listened to the podcast, but for anyone who may be listening who has not seen the show, if you have a chance to see the Dragula live show, you absolutely... like cancel your mom's funeral cancel whatever like dialysis you have to go to like you should go it is truly like it's amazing get into it carly writes how do you both stay so down to earth while being directly in of show business i mean i think we're just doing what we love you know we're working in an industry that we love and um we don't forget. I mean, look, we're not mega stars. That's just not, you know, it's not what we want to be. It's not what we are. We have some infamy, you know. I just think we're we're just having a good time, you know. Yeah. I, it makes me think about why we do what we do. Like, what is the motivator? And I think for some people in show business, their motivation may simply be to be rich or to be famous. But for us, it's about sort of the artistic vision. Like, we like to create things. It's what we've done our entire career. And I think it's what we'll always do. So we're, we're, we're satisfied and happy. It's not really, like, ego-driven. I think that's the thing. I think, I think it's about ego because we are more into producing content. And, you know, a lot of people that are in front of the camera and drag performers too are very ego driven and it makes them kind of amazing and very entertaining, but it also makes them insufferable too. You know, it's, it's like, I don't know some funny drag Queens, you know, that you'll be around and, and they're so suffocating in person. I mean, even ones we've known for a long time, you know, it's like, they're it's, it's just, they suck all the air out of the room and it's very much about them and I cannot stand it at all. So I think for us, the way that we came up in entertainment was from behind the scenes. So it was never ego driven. When we went out in front of the curtain for the first time, it was not to appease our ego. It's because we had no fucking choice. It was necessity. We had to run the show. We had to run the show. And our host, the host that we had created, had to step away from the show. And we immediately were thrown into the spotlight. So I think maybe that's what it is. Anna asks, Super interested in what Dali said about drag not having to be about gender. How would you define drag to someone who knew nothing about it? I think that's a tricky question that is 
And the answer to it is always changing because views on drag are always changing. Drag itself is always changing. Um, I don't even like to attempt to answer it. I think it's drag is like a performance. I think gender has something to do with it. And oftentimes we use uh, drag as a vehicle to comment on things, whether it's societal issues, gender issues, inequalities. Um, And it's also entertainment. Like drag is entertainment. Yeah. An interviewer asked us recently, um, when did drag stop being about uh, men dressing up and, and I was like, it was never about that. I was like, it's never been about that, about just that, you know, unless you grew up in a really small mainstream gay community like WeHo or, you know, something like that or, or Chelsea in New York. It's like, no one thinks that unless that's where you come from, you know, like it's not like tip gig, wig flip, like, yes, like that is, that's not what it is. You know, it's it's always been a much more um, thorough art form, a much more rich art form, I should say. Yeah. And um, gender does play a part in it because a lot of time it's the performance of gender, but yeah. it doesn't always have to be. And you don't have to be performing the opposite gender that you identify as either. And especially now with things, you know, people's gender identities are becoming much more fluid, which is amazing. I think uh, gender gender's importance on drag is less is less important. I would yeah, say. Yeah, I agree. All right. I think that is all the time we have for questions today. Thank you all for writing in. And please remember, if you want to send us more questions about the show or anything we've discussed here on the podcast, you can email us at creatures at bouletbrothersdragula.com. Now, it's time to move on to one of my favorite parts of the podcast and welcome you to this episode's Haunting of History. For this section of the show, we like to dig up a real-life documented supernatural happening and give listeners an abridged history of the terrifying event. We encourage you to turn off the lights, find a dark, quiet place to relax in, and prepare for a journey into the unknown. Halloween is considered by many to be a truly American holiday. Filled with customs, rituals, and amulets particular to its celebration. But many of its roots are planted across the Atlantic, deep in Irish and Scottish pagan soil. Folktales tell us, during the time of Halloween, the veil between our world and the underworld is at its thinnest. It's a time when dark spirits may cross over into our realm and many of the practices surrounding Halloween prepare the mortal world for these spiritual visitations. Perhaps the most iconic amulet of the Halloween holiday is the jack-o'-lantern. The appearances of glowing pumpkins with ghoulish faces carved into them are sure signs that the Halloween season is upon us. The practice of decorating jack-o'-lanterns originated in Ireland sometime in the 1800s, where turnips and giant beets served as early canvases. It wasn't until Irish immigrants brought the practice with them to America, home to the native pumpkin, that jack-o'-lanterns as we know them truly became part of the fabric of Halloween festivities. To understand how the custom came to be, we need to become familiar with the folktale of a silver-tongued drunkard known as Stingy Jack. As the story goes, amongst the myriad towns and villages speckled across the Irish countryside lived a drunkard named Jack. 
He was known throughout the land as a deceiver, a manipulator, and generally a drag of society. Most of the various tales told about Stingy Jack agree on these points, but from here the details of his story are told in many ways. Here's the gist of it. Jack's repugnant reputation was so infamous and widespread, the tales of his deceitful prowess caught the ear of Satan himself. Once Satan knew about Jack, he became very envious of his vile ways and his silver tongue, and Satan wanted his soul. So one night, while Jack was drunk, wandering the countryside, he happened upon a man blocking his path. The man's face was twisted into a sinister sneer, and Jack, even through his drunken haze, knew he was in the presence of the devil himself. Jack had the sobering realization that his life was at its end, and as a last request, he convinced the devil to take him to a local pub and buy him drinks before he dragged Jack's soul down to the underworld. The devil said, why not? And when all the drinks were had, Jack told the devil to pay the tab much to Satan's surprise. But before he did, Jack convinced him he should metamorphose into a silver coin to pay the tab and trick the bartender. Impressed by the idea of the treachery, the devil agreed to Jack's plan. Once transmogrified, however, Jack snatched the coin, the devil, and slipped it into his pocket, where his crucifix lay, trapping the devil in the form of silver and blocking him from using any of his powers. This coerced Satan to agree to Jack's demands. In exchange for Satan's freedom, he had to spare Jack's soul for ten years. Precisely ten years to the day, Jack naturally found himself in the presence of Satan once again. The setting was basically the same, and Jack had seemingly accepted that his time was finally up. They were near a copse of trees, and Jack requested an apple from one of them, as a last meal to fatten his starving belly before Satan dragged his soul to hell. Foolishly, the devil once again agreed to Jack's request and worked his way up a nearby apple tree. Jack moved quickly, carving the mark of the crucifix all around the base of the tree. Satan, frustrated at being entrapped again, demanded his release. As Jack did before, he made his own demand, that his soul was off-limits and should never be taken by the devil. Satan agreed, and Jack set him free. Eventually, the drink took its toll on Jack's body, and he died. As the legend goes, his soul appeared before St. Peter's gates, and God would not allow such an unsavory figure into the realm of heaven. Jack's soul was rejected. The devil, upset by the tricks that Jack had played on him, and keeping his word not to claim his soul, would not allow Jack into hell either. Instead, he sent Jack into the dark netherworld with only one hellish burning ember to light his way. In the darkness, Jack dug up a turnip, hollowed it out, and placed the coal inside, and he's been carrying it eternally, roaming the world between the planes of good and evil ever since. The Irish began to refer to this ghostly shade as Jack of the Lantern, and then, simply, Jack-o'-lantern. That's all the time we have for this episode. We want to thank you again for joining us. And remember to watch our Halloween special, The Belay Brothers' Dragula Resurrection, streaming now on Shudder. 
On the next episode, we'll be inviting producers from the show to join us in discussing all the behind-the-scenes gory details that made Dragula Resurrection an unforgettable experience. If you have questions for us about the Boulay Brothers Dragula Resurrection, please email us at creatures at bouletbrothersdragula.com. The Boulay Brothers Creatures of the Night is hosted and produced by Drachmorda and Swanthula Boulay, along with co-host and producer Ian DeVogler, in association with Dread Central. Edited and mixed by Ernesto Hortada, with music by Neuron Spectre. Where your dollar buys you more.